0: This morning, we are going to make this the central thing. So I'm going to put this in the middle, and I'm going to move to the side. And it might mean that one or two of you over there can see me slightly less. That's kind of the point. <laughs> this morning, yeah... Um, As I thought, as is my responsibility, (laughs) about where we're headed as a church. It's my responsibility, because for those of you who don't know me, I'm the pastor here at OCC. There's lots of people that do pastoral work, but I lead our team of elders. My name is Steve Jones, and uh, as I was thinking about and praying about where we're headed this autumn, Um, I believe that God wanted us to start this autumn by focusing on what is most important. Uh, And that is his son, Jesus. So the theme this morning is Christ crucified. And we're going to work our way through a chunk of uh, the letter that Paul wrote to Corinthians, his first letter, 1 Corinthians. So the text of the scripture is going to appear on the screen, but actually, I haven't got the clicker. That's my last little bit of... Thanks, Dave. That's great. Thank you. Um, the text is going to appear on the screen, but you might like to open it in your uh, own Bible if you have a Bible with you, which is a good thing to do, And because this text is going to guide our thoughts, shape our, uh, hopefully our feeling, our belief, as well as our thinking this morning. And it's quite a profound text, and uh, it's my privilege this morning just to unpack it a little bit. This is what Paul wrote. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, and this is a quote from the Old Testament, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world, through its wisdom, didn't know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand signs, and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. It's a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ's the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than... Than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. As I read this text, I found myself reading again and again that word that comes up, foolish or foolishness. And I don't know about you, but it kind of wasn't quite landing for me. The word fool makes me think of someone dressed up with a jester's hat in a sort of Shakespearean play or uh, in olden days. And I looked up the word that's translated as foolishness. And the Greek word is the word moria, which um, I think is the inspiration for Tolkien's dwarven kingdom in The Lord of the Rings. And uh, it means foolishness, but it means particularly a kind of dullness of mind, moria. It's the word uh, from which the English word moron comes. And when I realized that, it just started to come a little bit more alive to me, and it might come a little bit more alive to you. This word foolishness has the sense of stupidity and being moronic. So I'm going to read this text again putting in the word moron (laughs) and moronic. And let's see if it helps us. For the message of the cross is moronic to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Hasn't God rendered moronic the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, through the, wor- the world through its wisdom didn't know him, God was pleased through the preaching of something stupid to save those who believe. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and moronic to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for God as a moron is wiser than human wisdom. And God as a weakling is stronger than human strength. This cross that we have Uh, some of you will be wearing a cross as jewellery and for us today this is a religious symbol it means something about faith and goodness and it's a challenge for us to feel what the message of a crucified Christ would have meant to its first hearers Uh, because it's not so instinctive to us to know what the cross meant to its, to the, in the first century. For people in the Roman Empire to be crucified meant that you were a failure. Under Roman law, crucifixion was used to execute those who had sought to rise up against Roman power, rebels who hoped to change the order of society and find themselves to be strong in the face of the might of the Roman Empire, but they lost. They were proven to be too weak. And the Roman Empire was proven to be stronger, and so they were crucified. Strung up, or nailed up, and shown to be a failure. Having hoped to be strong, but being proven to be weak. Such was crucifixion. And for Jews especially, there is a little statement in the book of Deuteronomy. You can find it in chapter 21 and verse 23, and it says, anyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. And Jews understood, therefore, that when someone was crucified, they were hung up on this timber. It proclaimed that they were cursed by God. They were not loved by God. They were not blessed by God, but they were under his curse. They were distanced from god the god who alone does miracles and therefore a crucified person is by definition someone whose prayers will not be answered someone who will not be doing miracles because god has cursed them and so paul writes here in this passage of the way that greeks gentiles that is think and the way that jews and the way that Greeks thought, they placed a great value on wisdom. Philosophers were of high standing in their society and they sought wisdom and they sought to make sense of things. And these Greeks who valued knowledge and wisdom, for them, only a moron would believe in a crucified hero. And for Jews, this oppressed People who so wanted the power to throw off their Roman oppressors, these people who wanted power and miracles, signs and wonders, it was moronic to believe in a man as Messiah who was crucified by whom? By the very army of their oppressors. And so, people heard Paul proclaiming there's Christ, the Messiah. He was crucified. It's like he'd come along and said, I've got a hero for you to know about. He's a loser! <laughs> Just made no sense. People found it to be difficult. I found this cartoon. As is, this is a mocking Trump after he. Uh, said that um, McCain, who's just died, was a loser for having been caught in Vietnam. That's the context of it. And this was a little cartoon that someone produced at the time during the presidential election. But as I have observed, it's sometimes the case, despite everything, the things that Donald Trump says are sometimes the things that we harbour in our own thoughts. Maybe that's just me. But just actually... Losers are unattractive. That's why we don't want to be one. We live in an age that, like most ages, I suppose, adores health, fitness, and wealth, adores youthfulness. That's why these two guys at the front had a little uh, joke about the fact that Dave looks... I'm not going to get into that. There are things that we value, and actually, we have, we, in our society, we live in a more sexualized society than many, and we value sexuality being clear and strong and chosen. So in an age that adores those things, how might we touch the sense of scandal that the message of the cross was to its first hearers? Maybe it would be a bit like someone coming to us and saying, that I was, I was in... Um, It's be like someone coming to us and saying, There was there's this messiah for you who's gonna do you the world of good. This messiah is like I found this person, they're an intersex person with learning difficulties. Old, now senile, dying in a dark corner of a strip club. Behold your messiah. Makes no sense. Such a person has none of the strength that is needed, none of the wisdom that is needed and that i 'm not saying that Jesus was that person, just to be clear i 'm trying to bring to life for us the sense of moronic weakness that people heard when Paul said, "I preach Christ and I preach him crucified the word that's trans, the word that 's translated in the text that I read as stumbling block in verse 23. The Greek word is scandalon. It's a sense of scandal. We should have some sense of being scandalized at this story. Scandalized that this such a person, that a crucified Christ should be our savior. See, from a human perspective, this Christ crucified looks almost impossibly weak and stupid. But Paul writes, there in verse 24, Christ is in fact the power and the wisdom of God because this man who died on a cross was not just a man, but the living God who had become man. And no method of execution can extinguish his life. This is the living God who knows all things, who can do all things, who is everywhere present, who sustains all things, who holds time and space together. And this limitless God became flesh and he died for you and for me. As Paul wrote elsewhere to the church in Philippi, God emptied himself and he took the form of a servant. Being born in human likeness and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. Jesus was, by nature, immortal. But submitted to death. In order to reveal the extent of God's love for us, in order to free us from slavery to sin, in order to purchase our forgiveness, and to reveal God's unmatched power. He rose, resurrected from the grave. Amen? No human mind would have made this up. Even those closest to Jesus couldn't understand it when he told them plainly about it. And so here's the point, that Christ Crucified is better than any of us. Christ crucified is better than any of us. Indeed, Paul writes, compared to him, we are all weak and foolish. Or we might say, feeble morons. The strongest man alive. The most fiercely intelligent woman alive are all alike, feeble and moronic in the light of Christ crucified. You know, there are sometimes some things that happen to us that make us feel our limitations. Just this last week, I had a stomach bug. Just a little thing. And for a couple of days, I could barely think straight and I couldn't stay awake for the whole day, and I felt my weakness and the limits of my intelligence. I felt them for a couple of days, really keenly. Um, (laughs) A few years ago, um, I came up against the edges of my weakness and limitations through a space hopper, as some of you will know. Uh, I had an interaction with a space hopper uh, which led to my having a dislocated shoulder and being taken away in an ambulance and it was all my fault and that knocked my confidence in both my strength and my intelligence. (laughs) Some people live every day with disability and those of us who have the privilege of living close to those with disability, are reminded, along with them, that we are limited. But the fact is that we all live with life-limiting conditions. For all of us, our thoughts only stretch a limited distance, and our hearts are only capable of so much love, and our bodies are mortal and will one day die. We're all limited. And Christ crucified is better than any of us. Next bit of our passage goes on to say this. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards, not many of you were influential, not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It's because of him. That you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it's written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord." It says here this church in Corinth, not many were wise, influential, upper class. Um, it's worth saying that does tell us that a few of them were. And if you find yourself this morning being someone who is intelligent and influential and posh, um, I, I always have a slight kind of shiver go through me when I use the word posh, because I once said to my grandmother, I used the word posh in my grandmother's hearing, and she said, Stephen, she said, that is a word used by people who do not put their milk in jugs. LAUGHTER And I don't really put milk in jugs, so I think I can use it freely. But I always feel, from heaven, a slightly disapproving Scottish glare. (laughs) Um, But if you do happen to be wealthy, if you do happen to be intelligent, if you do happen to be of high birth, those things are no obstacle to the Christian life. The church includes you. But those things have not helped you to know Christ. God's choice of many people without such gifts shows that those gifts are not really needed. God, the living God, called light into being. He creates all living things and he chooses things that are not. He makes things that didn't used to be and he uses them to nullify the things that already existed. Jesus said that God is able to take up stones and raise children for Abraham. He said, if we don't praise God, the very stones will praise God. God's able to take from what is not and make what is needed. You know, one of the biggest obstacles to life with Christ is when we really think we're something. I don't know if you've seen this cartoon. I might need to just read. The very top left there says, Christian and church movements throughout history. And it's a little branching picture of everything that's ever gone on in church history. Then it says, So, this is where our movement came along and finally got the Bible right. And then this little person in the class says, Jesus is so lucky to have us. Wonder whether we sometimes feel that way a little bit. So glad that we're right. God must really like the fact that we're really right. Isn't he lucky that we're following him just right? I don't know, maybe it takes other forms for you, a sense of entitlement. You know, I deserve some good stuff. Well, however it may find its shape in our lives, here Paul says, hmm, no. No one may boast before this crucified Christ. Whatever advantages we feel we may have, whatever gifts we may be proud of, no one can boast before a crucified Christ. The living God, who humbled himself and became obedient to death, there's no place for boasting except in him. Where Paul quotes in uh, verse 31, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. It's a quote from the Old Testament. It's a quote from... Uh, Isaiah uh, from Jeremiah, sorry, which I'll read in a minute, and the Greek word here is one that t- translates from the Hebrew, the word Hallelujah. Let's let's, and the word Hallelujah is about lifting up. Hallel is a, a word that means lifting up, and saying here, don't exalt ourselves. Let's not lift ourselves up, and let's not think we're great, but let's praise God. Let's lift God up. Let's give him our hallelujahs as we worship him and praise him. And here's the second thing to see, that this Christ crucified is worthy of our worship. It's worthy of our worship. And then pressing on into chapter two. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I didn't come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. And my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might rest not on human wisdom, but on God's power. I want you to note that in verse 2 here, uh, whilst Paul has been saying in in verse 1 about his preaching, about the thing that he proclaimed, verse 2 is not just about what he preached. It's about what he had in his mind. It It doesn't say here, I didn't preach with eloquence. Instead, I just preached Christ doesn't say that. He says, I didn't preach with eloquence. I resolved only to know Christ. Only to know Christ and Christ crucified. And this is where it's helpful to turn back to Jeremiah chapter nine, because where Paul has written in verse 31 of the chapter before, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is where the quote comes from. This is what Paul has in mind as a good scholar of the law, knowing what was written in the Hebrew scriptures. Jeremiah 9 says, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his might, let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. That the one who boasts boasts in this, that he understands and knows me. And the phrase translated here in One Corinthians, to know nothing except Christ. And Christ crucified literally means to see nothing except Christ and Christ crucified. Paul isn't here saying, I'm going to forget everything else I know and anything else I've ever learned. But this I am going to do, I'm going to focus. I'm going to let Jesus take up my vision. I'm going to focus my thoughts and my feelings on him. And so here's another thing. Christ crucified deserves our attention. Our focus Paul was able to say, for the period of time that he was in Corinth, I focused on Jesus. I I made him the one that I thought about. And you know, when we focus on Jesus, it's amazing how many other good things tumble out from our lives. I don't know whether you've sometimes tried to fix things all by yourself, or have an impact all by yourself, and found that it doesn't just flow, doesn't just happen, but... When we focus on Jesus, it's amazing what kind of spiritual power starts to radiate out and flow out and tumble out of our lives. And so Paul's able to say, having said, I resolved to know nothing whilst I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. He's able to say, then my message and my preaching came with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. That's the way round that it works. We don't seek the power. We don't seek the influence. We don't seek to be clever and to be strong, but we focus on Jesus. Focus on him. And as a church, we have often been very active, doing all kinds of things and wanting to have an impact on the people around us and be a blessing to one another, wanting to have influence because we want to see good things take place, and that's worthy as an ambition. But we don't gain influence by seeking influence. We don't have an impact by trying to be impactful. Rather, we focus on Christ and let him fill our vision, because he's worthy of our worship and he deserves our attention. And you know what? When we focus on him, all manner of good things happen that we could never cause to come to pass. I want to finish by reading part of a poem that will be familiar to some of you, written by someone who's been a friend to our group of churches, uh, Malcolm Duncan. And he wrote a poem about eight years ago called, I Want to Be a God Gazer. And some of you will have seen a book that has been published since, which expands on what's in this poem. I just want to read to you the first part of this poem, which starts like this. I want to be a God gazer, captured by the brilliance that springs from the radiance Of you. I want to be a God gazer, not a cheap food grazer or an easy option laser. I want to be a trailblazer for the ordinary everyday life. I want to be a God gazer, not just copying the the halcyon ways that shimmer brighter in the haze of the good old days. I want to be a Godgazer, not just uh, sorry, I want to be a Godgazer, looking beyond the trappings of success, cutting through the stucco of responsibility, respectability like a laser piercing darkness. I want to be a Godgazer, reaching for the stars and seeing beauty in the moment by becoming fluent in the language of the God who is here, who is now. I want to be a God gazer until my imagination is saturated, until my thirst is sated, until my passion is stirred, until my intellect is stretched as far as it can be until my yearning yearns for others to be free. I want to be a God-gazer, captured by the brilliance that springs from the radiance of you. Christ crucified deserves our attention. He is worthy of our worship. He is better than any of us. And we're going to return now to sing in worship. And with this cross at the front, you may find it helpful to approach it, to come near, to take hold of it. I'll move it slightly so the TV thing's not in the way. And uh, you may find it more helpful to stay where you are. I I don't know. Um, But let's make this the center of our thinking as we worship afresh.